good morning. I'm Susan. I'll be reading the scripture today, Matthew 9, 18 through 26. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had been suffering from a flow of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that moment. Then Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. And he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. The girl got up, and the report of this spread through all the district. This passage that um, uh, was just uh, shared with us, to me, is, um, I think, one that many might consider uh, dangerous. A dangerous passage, and I'll tell you why. First, let's, let's paint the story here a little bit. Uh, Jesus, where we, we're joining him, is he's, he's, he's been with some people, he's been talking and stuff, and uh, it says a leader comes in, uh, a, a leader. Now, some people think that that's actually a religious leader. Other people think it's a government official. First and foremost, this is the thing that is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what happened, and then I'm going to tell you why it's odd that it's even in the Scripture, Okay. So first off, Jesus is sitting there. He's with his people. He's talking with them. He's having a good conversation and everything. A religious leader comes in. He comes through the door, and he bows down immediately at Jesus' feet. And he says, hey, my, my daughter is, is dying, is, is dead, is gone. If, but I know that if, if you lay your hands on her, she will be made well. And Jesus right away says, um, lead the way. I'll follow but as Jesus is walking, now he's walking and there's a crowd around him because he's, he's attracted now people that are, are curious and he's attracted people that have heard about his uh, amazing powers and his uh, preaching with authority. There are his disciples with him. Uh, and when we say disciples, remember what we say when we say disciples is followers of, of Jesus. So that could be more than just 12. It can be a lot of people, men, women, children, all following him. And during this time, there's a woman that for 12 years has been suffering, for 12 long years. Now, historians, we, we look at the language and everything and all this kind of stuff. We go back to the, the translations and everything. What it's believed is that, uh, commonly, is that maybe um, she was, uh, had been menstruating for, for, for 12 long years, uh, and she had been suffering for that long of time. She sees Jesus through this crowd, and she fights her way through this crowd. She is pushing people around, and she's uh, not, not pushing people around, you know, but she's uh, pushing her way through. She knows in her heart that if she can just touch him, that she'll be healed from this. She, she's heard about him. She, she knows his reputation. She has this faith that if she just reaches out and touches him, that she'll be made well. 
She fights her way through the crowd. She's squeezing through. Imagine this. This is a, a, a narrow street, and it's a, people are, are, are following Jesus. He's on his way, and she's fighting, rushing through. And she finally reaches out and just grabs a little bit, just a little bit of his garment. And Jesus turns around, and he sees her. And what is so beautiful about this, I think, is that he, he calls her daughter. That's a very intimate thing. He doesn't just say, hey, you. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And immediately she feels the, the burden is gone and she's, she's better. And this is just on the way to this person's house. So he does this. She's feeling great about herself and he continues on with this government official or spiritual leader or whatever you want to call it. They get to the house and there is already people mourning and there's a, a, a people. I love how it says in the scripture, you, you, um, he notices the flute player, which sounds odd for us, you know, because uh, why would a flutist be there, you know? But in those days when somebody died, it was tradition that you would bring in a... Uh, Someone to mourn, someone to, uh, to ex- yeah, you would actually have these people that would come in and they would uh, uh, weep and stuff. Uh, you know, other people would be weeping, but you would actually have people that would provide that as uh, a service, kind of announcing that someone had died. Uh, you would also bring in a, a musician, a, a flautist, flutist, flutist, flautist, 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 which is, you know, you don't see on too many you know, crime shows, you know, the, the guy coming in and checking the body and saying, oh dear, you better call the flautist, you know, and just having people come in and, and, you know, but Jesus sees and what it's telling him when he walks in the door there is that she has died. And he says, she's just sleeping. And it, the, the crowd seems... Um, very disingenuous. They seem very uh, angry. They, 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 they laugh at him. And it's not one of those situations where they laugh because it's a joke or anything like that. They're really in disbelief. When something happens where you just you disbelieve it, some of your times your first uh, response is to, to laugh. And they laugh. And he tells them, uh, go over there for just a second. And this young child, he comes over there, and he just, kind of like the, the woman that touched him, he reaches out, and he touches this child. And immediately, she wakes up and is brought back. And the crowd is amazed, and people are amazed. And just, just in this little stroll with G- Jesus... People have seen something that is unbelievable. And something that could be considered truly dangerous in our way of looking at Scripture. Because if we were to look at Scripture in the time that this was written, it goes against everything that people held dear. It goes against their traditions. It grows against the things that makes them comfortable. It puts them immediately into a place of uncomfortableness. 
And you know, as, as people, we don't, we don't really like to be uncomfortable. Uh, we, we will, we'll, as Christians, we'll always say, you know, I'll sacrifice and everything like that, but we don't want to be uncomfortable. <laughs> the religious leader, will start with him. If you are a religious leader of the time, or a government official, whatever he is, he's a leader. He's a, a male in the first century. They were always men. He is a place of authority. I'm messing with the camera operator right now by standing on this chair. But this is how they looked. If you were a religious leader or a government official, people looked up at you. I'm short. I have to do this. But they carried them, their, themselves in a certain way. They did not show emotion. Did you know that it was even... Adult men didn't even run at this time. They wouldn't even show that vulnerability. And so if you are a government or an elected official, you are the one that sets the tone. You do not break that. And so if you're an early first century person hearing this story, the first thing that you are going to dispute is that a religious or government official, whatever you want to call it, a leader, came in, bowed, and had the audacity to show emotion. Not only emotion, but desperateness. Grief. Religious leaders, they were, you know, people that walked like this, you know. They didn't show things like that. They, they told you what to do. They didn't follow people. You followed them. And here he was, busting through the door, showing all kinds of grief, emotion, and taking this person that looks like a peasant. Remember, Jesus didn't wear the fancy clothes. He walked with people that were poor. He walked with people that were on the outside. He walked with people that were considered in poverty. He looked like one of them. And this elected official, maybe not elected, is kneeling before him and saying, you have the power. Right then and there, he would have been fired. Because he has been given everything, and he is now saying, it ain't me. It's this guy. So right there, if you're hearing this story, if you're a skeptic hearing this story in the first century, you're thinking, that, that does not compute. That, that's, that's, uh, that's stretching it just a little bit. I always think that if the, uh, the early uh, Christians, the person, people that were just first starting the movement, if they had uh, a public relations uh, person, they would say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that because we like our officials here. We like our leaders. Our leaders should actually, you know, uh, not, he shouldn't be coming in like that. But it's there. 2,000 years later, that story has been one of the ones that has survived. It has passed through the doubt of how can somebody in such authority and such power do that. And Jesus just stands up 
says, lead the way. Now, one of the things that people had problems with this at this time, too, just as they sometimes have problems with today, is we hate authority. And so Jesus, by saying that Jesus is saying, okay, leader, show me the way. Many people then, in the opposite side, are going to have problems with this passage. Because they're going to say, why... Okay, here's the PR guy again. Why are, as Jesus, you're trying to promote Jesus, the underdog, and all this kind of stuff. Here he is. He's, he's uh, loving people then, and all this kind of stuff. But we don't like the authority figures. And now he's going to go help them? They don't care for that very much. So again, you've got people on the first century and beyond listening to this story saying, I don't buy it. I don't want to buy it, because if I bought this, it would mean that I'd have to rethink about some things. Now, Jesus is on his way. We come to the next star in our, in our, in our play here, the woman. Two things wrong already. The first thing is, is that her condition, uh, there were laws in this time. Uh, they were religious laws, but they were also laws. Laws. If you were having anything to do with bleeding, you were not supposed to be mingling with people. You were supposed to be um, either uh, in your own home or even outside of the community. And yes, this did, this did include uh, monthly cycles. If a woman was having a monthly cycle, she could not be around people. She had to isolate herself. Oftentimes, she had to sit and if people came near her, the tradition was for her to say, unclean, as a warning to stay away. So, you've got this person that as soon as somebody says for 12 years, the first thing that people in the first century are going to be thinking is one, the biggest one, unclean. This person should not be even in this story. The second thing that a lot of people are going to be thinking is that if somebody is suffering, they must have done something that angered God. Because back then, it was often thought that if you had an ailment, if you had a disability, anything like that, you made God mad or your relatives made God mad, but somehow this is a punishment for something that you did. So, she shouldn't be in the crowd because she is unclean. She shouldn't be in the crowd because she's being punished by God. But as you remember the story... Jesus is on his way to this house, and he has a group of people with him, and she is pushing through this group of people. She is mingling. She is touching. And she goes up to Jesus, and she does the one thing that they are not supposed to do, and that is contact. And she makes that contact. Now, Again, if you're the PR guy and you want to write this story, Jesus turns around and what he should have said is, Ooh, 
unclean, you know, and spread her out and, you know, create a big, you know, thing and kick her out. But he, he praises her. He praises her for her faith, and he praises her for her determination to go and just even touch him. An unclean person touching. But again, if you're in the first century, you're thinking that's not that can't that's not true. I mean, there, I mean, yeah, I know some people broke that, but you know that that's not. Mm-mm. That's icky. If you're icky, you're supposed to be on the outside. You're not supposed to be on the inside. She could have sent an email, you know, or something like that, but to actually mingle with people like that, she, she's, she shouldn't be doing this. She shouldn't be part of this. And so they, they wouldn't believe it. And so the PR person would say, don't put that in. There's another thing, too, that I think that um, would have caused debate back then. Did you notice that both of the people that Jesus healed were women? You see, at that time, in the first century, a woman's testimony wasn't even granted. Uh, it wasn't even given, given merit. Uh, women truly were um, subclass. So if you're going to put in a story about women having something happen, many of the male audience and some of the female audience even would dismiss it. It's just a, it's a woman. Even, and then even adding a child. Remember, there's stories where the disciples see children and they want to shoo them away. Jesus is the one that says, make them, help them get to me. Because children, women, That's not your audience if you're really wanting to promote a a movement or a religion. You don't want to go up to a bunch of guys in the synagogue where in many of those cases, women were not even allowed inside. They were on the outside. You don't want to go to that group of people and say, if we follow Jesus, we can be just like these women. Most of them are going to say, I'm not buying it. I don't want any part of it. And I don't believe it. And yet 2,000 years later, that story, the leader, the woman, the child, it's still here. Now, I, I do very much believe that the things that we have in Scripture are there for a reason. And that's what makes it so dangerous. Remember at the beginning I said this is a dangerous one? Because if it's is in there, even though it didn't match any of the things that should have made it survive, but it did survive, for me, that backs up the fact that it actually just, it happened. And if it actually happened, that has to make us think differently about the things that we even think about 2,000 years later. Because what's happening in this story is that Jesus is opening the door to those that we feel are insignificant. And he's opening the door to the people that we feel shouldn't be allowed in. And he's also, the scripture is telling us that people are acting uncharacteristic 
to their stereotypical ways. They are fighting their ways to Jesus. You have the religious leader that is giving up his status, his reputation, everything to humble himself before Christ. You have the woman who is giving up all of the risks of being a lawbreaker, being chastised even more to touch Christ. You have people that are determined to say, don't I matter? Don't I matter? You have a father with a daughter that's saying, that's more important than anything that I have in a reputation or status. And you have a woman that is saying, the world sees me for 12 years. The world has seen me as unclean or even punished by God. But aren't, aren't I worthy of love? Don't, don't I count? And in both of those incidents, Jesus says, yeah, you do. To me, you matter to me. You, you count to me. You are here for a reason. And I am here for you. Now, if we believe that, if we truly believe that, it could kind of challenge some of the things that we think about in our world. As much as we want to admit that as Christians, we like to say, you know, we are love, we are love, except, but we like to keep certain people away from us. Whether that be people that are considered uh, insignificant, whether that be people that we consider in, in authority. There's, there's both sides here playing, you know. Politically, in this story, there are both sides that have come to Christ. We can't just pick one. We can't say, yeah, I, I'm going with this one, and he shouldn't have healed that one. We have to say, if this is the dangerous part, if we believe this scripture, we have to say, Jesus is here for all of us. And as Christ followers, that means we're supposed to be too. These things were written 2,000 years ago, and they have stayed for a reason. Can we accept it? And can we follow it? It means loving our neighbor, whoever they are. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, help us to take away the, the politics, the, the judgment, the, the bigotry, the prejudiceness, whatever the case may be. Help us to just... Stop fighting each other and, and realize that everyone gets to come to Christ. Everyone gets to be with Christ because Christ loves everyone.
And if Christ loves everyone, help us to understand that that's our call too. Help us to be patient, kind, and loving. Help us to love our neighbor the way that you love us. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. My challenge for all of us today is that when we leave there, we take a piece of this out there. Oftentimes we go to church and we get, you know, uh, we sing and all that stuff and we go out and we just start swearing and, you know, hate people at the store and all that kind of stuff. I'm looking right at you, Julian. But (laughs) when we go out there, let's see each other as neighbors with the potential of being friends. Let's look at this world through the eyes of Christ, who says, you are all different, and that's intentional, and it's beautiful. Love God, love yourself, love your neighbor.